How you doing this morning? So good you are so good you are here. So glad you are here. Made the trek through the snow and all of that. Praise God. It's good to be in the presence of God, to be with God's people and everyone else that comes along. It's just good to have you all here. Also, tomorrow night. Me and Paul and Phil Friesen are going to be uh, do, having a Q&A time. We do this, try to do it about once a quarter. This one's on spiritual war and holy war. And part of what we're looking at is uh, the, the rather remarkable difference between the Old Testament, which has a lot of war in it, and the New Testament, which forbids it. And so we're going to be looking at that, that issue. We'll each present a little paper or talk of some sort and then open it up for questions. So if you have questions about that, that's tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, uh, here in the auditorium. That's what we've been talking about the last seven weeks. Revolutionary love, revolting beauty. Because the kingdom of God, we've seen, is, is just about being beautiful. Right? Just be beautiful. Manifest the beauty of Christ's character that's revealed in Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we revolt against everything in our life and everything in the world that is inconsistent with that. Really, everything that's ugly. What you just saw there on the uh, video, and I apologize to our pod, pod parishioners who can't see it on the video, but uh, uh, what, 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 that, what we did there is just review very briefly some of the stuff that the small groups have been doing in terms of outreach, impacting uh, the world as we revolt against various isms in the culture. And they manifest, in doing that, they manifest the beauty of, of Christ's character. So it's, it's been an interesting series. We've been going through the book of Luke uh, as we've been doing this. Uh, last week took a little break from it, and I'm going to take a break from it again this morning. I, I know that some of you are going to go through Luke withdrawal because of this, but try to deal with this. What I want I, 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 I to end this series this way. As we've been talking about revolting beauty... Um, you could get the impression that the kingdom is a, is a sort of one-size-fits-all deal. Like we're all supposed to look identical. We're supposed to look beautiful like Jesus Christ. And it's true that we are supposed to all manifest the same kind of beauty. The kingdom of God always does look like Jesus Christ in terms of, of, the, of the basic character. But what's also true, and what I want to end this series by emphasizing, is that the particular way each of us manifests that beauty is radically, radically unique. The truth is that each of us is, is a one-of-a-kind diamond that is called to put on display the light of God's glory in a distinct way. We are all prisms through which the light of God wants to shine. And the way I do it is going to be different from the way you do it, and the way you do it is going to be different from the way the person next to you does it. There's a radical uniqueness that each one of us has that we bring to the kingdom. Uh, to get at this and how important it is to, uh, to unveil that uniqueness, I want to read from the book of Judges, one of my favorite episodes in the Old Testament. It involves a man named Gideon. A lot of you have heard of Gideon before. Gideon was a sort of weasel man. Uh, you know, he wasn't the most courageous uh, and wise person in the world. But God uses folks like that to become heroes. Uh, at this stage in Israel's history, the Midianites have taken over, and the Israelites are all hiding. And Gideon, being the kind of guy he is, he's in a wine press threshing wheat. Now, he's not out in the farm field threshing wheat because he's afraid of the Midianites. So he hides the, the wheat, and he's, he's in a nice, secure place trying to make some food. That's what's going on here. 
And as he's in this wine press trying to make some food, uh, the Lord shows up to him. It says the angel of the Lord, but that's just the Lord in angelic form. You see here later on, that's the Lord himself speaking to him. And the Lord says to him, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Mighty warrior. Go in the strength. Apparently he's strong. Go in the strength you have and save Israel from the Midian's hand. Am I not with you? Now the weasel man says, Pardon me, my Lord. Wrong address, wrong guy. (laughs) How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I said, dude, I am with you. I am with you. Pray with me here just for a moment. Lord, use this message to set captives free, to break strongholds in our mind. If we're going to be revolutionaries, the first thing we've got to revolt to is the garbage between our ears. And God, I just pray that you'd use this message to sear away all of them and to set us free to be the unique, beautiful diamonds you've created us to be in Jesus' name. Amen. Wrong guy, wrong address. Gideon, like so many heroes in the Bible, and like so, much, so many of us, he's got his excuses. Uh, Lord, look at um, Wrong about warrior, wrong about strength. My family's the weakest family. I'm the weakest in my family. You're basically talking to the bottom of the food chain here. Uh, you, you got the wrong guy. Uh, I, I just, I'm nice and safe and secure here in my little wine press, uh, fearful of the Midianites, and I just want to stay here. But see, God sees something in Gideon. This is so, so typical. God sees something in Gideon that Gideon himself can't see. God, God calls him a warrior. And God is never wrong. Gideon, Gideon, look, I got, I got it. I, I know that your family's weak. Your family's poor. Your family's nothing. You're low on the social status, and you're the weakest of the weak. Got that? Yeah, I heard all that. You know, but here's the deal. I'm going with you, and that trumps all your cards. That trumps all your excuses. And what I see is that when I'm with you, if you'll just listen to me on this one, when I'm with you, you are a warrior. When I'm with you, you are strong. You've got a unique role, a unique mission, a unique destiny, and it's nothing less than being used by me to save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. See, Gideon was caught in a common, common trap. It's the trap of the I can'ts, or the I shouldn'ts, or the I'm just a. I can't do this, Lord. I really shouldn't do this, Lord, because my clan is so small, and, 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 and I, I, I'm just a nobody. I'm just a scared, weak guy hiding out here in the wine press. But God says, you revolt against that I can't, I shouldn't, I'm just a, and you step into the warrior I just called you. You step into the strength I just called you. Get out of this wine press and get on the field and start doing the kingdom work. Each of us, folks, each of us is our own kind of Gideon. We have a, a unique, utterly unique, radically unique role to play in the kingdom revolution. You were born for a reason. God doesn't do superfluous. You were born for a reason. You were born on purpose. I don't care how accidental the circumstances were. God is the creator. And though there's a, there's a purpose to your being, you were born for a reason. And your life experience has equipped you for a purpose, for a mission. You've got a unique calling, a unique, a unique gift mix. A unique passion is there, uh, simmering in your heart if you can just get in touch with it. And God is calling you, every one of us, to a unique role, a unique mission, a unique destiny in the kingdom. And it's all about 
putting God on display, putting the beauty of God on display in an, in an utterly unique way, a way that only you, with your life experience, with your characteristics, the way that only you can do it. And the revolution needs you. You have a unique passion, a unique purpose, a unique calling on your life, and you will never be totally fulfilled in life. In fact, you'll never be totally comfortable in your own skin until you find that passion and until you say yes to that passion. But it involves, it involves your first most fundamental revolt, and that is revolting against your fear, revolting against the I can'ts, revolting against the I shouldn'ts, revolting against the I'm just a thing. And when you do that, you're giving God an opportunity to shine through you in a one-of-a-kind way. Here's a video, and I apologize again to our podcasters who aren't going to be able to see this unless they get online and watch the video, and I encourage them to do this. Here's a video of a guy. Some of you, I'm sure, have seen this before. It's, it's been making its rounds, but it's beautiful. Video of a guy who did that. Finally owned up to what he was born to do and got out of his wine press and got on stage. Watch this. But for the next contestant, the world of showbiz seems a million miles away. It's Paul, a mobile phone salesman from South Wales. By day, I sell mobile phones. My dream is to spend my life doing what I feel that I was born to do. Paul, what are you here for today, Paul? To sing opera. I've always wanted to sing as a career. Confidence is, has always been sort of like a difficult thing for me. I've always found it a little bit difficult to be completely confident in myself. Okay, ready when you are. time I've seen that video and it chokes me up every time I see it. He's finally doing what he was born to do. But he had a lot of can'ts. I can't. I shouldn't. I'm just a, I'm just a mobile phone salesman. 
And God bless you. If, if, if you're supposed to be a mobile phone salesman, great. But if you're supposed to be singing opera, not so great. He had a lot of fear he had to confront. In fact, he, he almost didn't enter this contest. He was so fearful. In fact, you can see at the beginning when he's standing up there, he's got this, like, I know I'm really... The look on his face is one of fear and, and like, I'm going to fail and this is just not going to work out. He had a lot of things he had to confront. But the moment he opens his mouth, I just love the impact that that makes. He opens his mouth and he then puts God on display, the creator of all beautiful music, the creator of all beauty, and he displays an aspect of that beauty that otherwise would be suppressed behind a veil of lies, a veil of I can't, I shouldn't, and I'm not supposed to. He's doing what he's born to do, and when we do what we're born to do, we impact the world in different ways. All of us, I think, right now are impacted to some degree by that video. It hits you. I, I always thought there's two kinds of music I will never listen to. One is country western, and I still don't listen to that very much. But even lower on my favorability scale was opera. But after hearing this, the, the, this, this music, it was so beautiful, it moved me so much, I went out and got his CD. It's called One Chance. It's a great CD. And I'm listening to opera now. Can you believe it? The guy's changed my life. But see, to get there, to get there he had to revolt against the I can't. Uh, I, I, I shouldn't. I, I'm not supposed to. I'm just, a, I'm just a this or I'm just a that. He had to get out of the wine press of, his, of the mediocrity that, I don't know how it got there, but somehow it had battered him down into this kind of mediocre life way beneath where he was supposed to be living, not doing what he was born to do. That much is true of all of us, folks. We have, you have inside of you an inner greatness. In fact, I believe, I really believe, the first impression I had when I watched this video was that it is a sort of sign of heaven. I believe in heaven when all of the lies and all of the can'ts and all of the shouldn'ts and all of the I'm just a conditioning is, is, is taken off of us. Each one of us will radiate, will shine, will magnify the glory of God in an undiluted way. And I believe when I see you do that in heaven, my jaw will drop. I never believe, I never would have known, I never could have guessed the beauty that is within you, the glory that is within you. And that's not a prideful thing on, on, on your part because it comes from God. You display the glory of God in a way that no one else can. And I think in heaven, we're just going to be, like this guy has right here, we'll just be in awe, moved to tears at the beauty, the beauty of how God has made each one of us and saved each one of us and the way he shines through each one of us. But he doesn't want us to wait to heaven to begin to do that. Now is the time to revolt against the lies. Now is the time to revolt against that social conditioning for mediocrity. Now is the time to revolt against the fear. The I can't, I shouldn't, I'm just a mindset. One of the people in my life that I, I respect the most who has done this and has been beautiful is our worship leader, Norm Blagman. He's got a story to tell, and I'd like him to tell it. Norm, would you come up here? Yes. That guy's name on the video was Paul Potts, and uh, this is the Paul Potts of worship music right here. All right. <laughs> I first met Norm in 1992. He, he sang a special at Woodland Hills Church back when it was first starting. We just figured out today that that was 15 years ago. And we, we've gotten a lot better looking since then, and I'm really, you know, happy about that. Um, we also don't tell the truth as much. But uh, when Norm sang this special, I immediately had an impression uh, that he was supposed to be a worship leader, and I was hoping it would be a worship leader at Woodland Hills Church. 
Uh, but I just had this impression. And so I went up to Norm after the service, and I just planted a little bug in his ear. I said, Norm, have you ever considered being a worship leader? And your answer, as I recall, was? No way. No way. <laughs> now, I, there's a little history that I think kind of explains that, and so I'd like Norm to talk about this. Uh, Norm, talk to, talk to us a little bit. I, I want to get at the I can'ts and the I shouldn'ts, and, and I'm, a, I'm just a thinking that was maybe going on in your mind that was restricting you. Uh, when did you first learn that you could sing, and, and kind of what happened around that? that... Well, uh, I started singing at the age of 10, and uh, an elementary school music teacher kind of, kind of noticed that um, I had an aptitude for, for singing, and, uh, and he was creating a, a citywide uh, uh, choir and wanted me to come and join that. Um, I was, I'm, many of you probably know or don't know that uh, I was raised in New York, in uh, Yonkers, New York. It's just north of the Bronx. I say the Bronx because it's easy for folks to, to go, okay, yeah, Bronx, okay, I know that. Um, but I, I was raised in a tenement building uh, in the slums, in the ghetto, as they would say. And, um, and I have uh, two other siblings. I have two sisters. I'm the oldest of three, and uh, we're all a year apart. And um, it, it, so I started singing with, with him, his encouragement and his uh, guiding and leader. He was my mentor. He kind of led me and started me. What did your uh, friends think about you being a choir boy? Uh, yeah, just the way you said that. It's like, wow. It's because I've heard you in previous services so, here. Choir boy. Um, <laughs> supposed to be playing football, dude. That's right. That was, and that's exactly what the response was. Was you know, you, you know, what are you, some kind of girly person? Or yeah, I, I won't, you know, I won't say what they said to me, but um, you know, you kind of girly doing that singing thing. And that's just that's not cool. You know, guys don't they don't sing. It's, it's okay. just not the cool thing. Then, um, what ha as you began to sing there, um, you got some recognition for that, right? Well, yeah. I, as I started singing and I got kind of immersed in this group, the unique thing about this group is that, uh, though I came from the hood, um, most of the kids, because he, being a music teacher, he had to kind of bounce around the city, uh, he was generating a lot of kids from the suburbs. So most of the kids were white, and I was kind of one of the few dark-skinned people in right. the group. And so that really had uh, a, a huge impact uh, because my peers, who I grew up with, saw me as kind of a sellout. You know, mm -hmm. what are you doing going hanging out with them white folks? Now you think you're better than us. And uh, so they used to call me uh, Oreo. I was kind of black on the outside but white on the inside. And, um, and so I got teased that way. Um, I got chased. Uh, and gang beat up by, by many kids. Actually, I have a scar on my hand uh, from being set afire. I was, uh, pinned, I was chased, pinned down. They doused me with a, uh, a thing of turpentine and set me afire. And, um, and I burned my hand trying to keep the shirt away from my face. And so I, have, I had second and third degree burns on my left hand. And, and so was that just motivated by them kind of seeing you as thinking that they're trying to keep you in, in your place? Yeah, well, because what was happening was that uh, because I was singing around town and all, um, my name was in the paper all the time, my picture was in the paper all the time, I was becoming visible, and it, it kind of was, you know, kind of a jealousy thing. It was mm. part of, you know, you know if, you, if you're down with, with your people, you don't go out and oh, you know, okay. sell out with them white people. 
So, so they, they saw you as like, you're trying to make it in a white man's world so you're a sellout. Exactly. And you think you're a superstar and you're right. better than us and whatever. Right. How about your, your father? How did he receive Well, my, my father was an alcoholic um, who was a violent alcoholic. And uh, my parents grew up during the time of Jim Crow, which was a, you know, for those who know, you know, the, the civil rights struggle, that it was a time that... Uh, uh, America had two laws, laws for whites, laws for blacks. And uh, we were second, below second class citizenship. Uh, we really weren't even considered human. And, um, and my father growing up in that system became, had very much a hatred of white mm. people. So he doubly hated the fact that I was going off to do this singing thing with this white man with these white kids. And my mother, she took many of physical beatings to sneak me out of the house so that I could go sing uh, because she saw that I had a talent and actually I didn't mention these at the other services but the school actually called her up to the elementary school to hear me sing because she because she worked two jobs she never knew that I could do it so they brought her up they had her take a day off of work come up to the auditorium because we were doing a, uh, a show and she, they sat her down front. I came out front and sang, and uh, she was absolutely blown away. So that's the reason she took those beatings for me to go and be able to do that. You know, see, in the world I grew up, you just assume that your dad's going to show up to practice and affirm you and, you know, congratulate you and encourage you. But you didn't have much of that. No, not, not much at all. Not even from my sisters. Because um, I was an embarrassment because, you know, the, the friends they ran with, you know, saw me as some kind of sellout. So they took a lot of grief uh, because of me. And so, in turn, I got it from them. So it was, uh, it was not a, it wasn't the most positive thing. There's a whole <laughs> lot of, I can't, I shouldn't, I'm, uh, I'm, just a, I'm just a black ghetto kid and I'm supposed to stay there. Yes. But you didn't. Um, no. Fast forward it to the time I approached you after that, that first service when you sang. Okay. And um, what was behind your uh, no way when I asked you if you wanted to be a worshiper? Uh, well, first off, I, when I left, when I graduated high school, I traveled with a group called Up With People and uh, traveled with them for a year. Uh, and during that time, I met uh, two guys who were in the band. And after our year was done, we started a band together. Okay. So I left New York, traveled out to the Midwest, to Lincoln, Nebraska, where one of the guys was from. We started this band and started touring. As we came through the, the uh, Midwest and touring through the Midwest, I met my wife. Uh, we started dating. I, when the band broke up... Who is lovely, by the way. She is very lovely. And, um, and when the band broke up, decided to stay here in Minnesota uh, and took... After, and I got out of the music business and sold my drums, sold everything that I had musically, um, and got out of the business and started working dead-end jobs, really, okay. uh, just to try to make ends meet because, um, you know, part what of... What else was there? Yeah. Yeah, what else was there? That was it. And you became a Christian during that time? I became a Christian, point? yes. All my right. wife got me in the church and God grabbed me and shook me Thank and God for his turned wife. me upside down. All right. Thank God yeah. for die. We love you, die. Inside out. Great, great evangelism. Okay, yes. so, and that was like a two, year, two years before I, I, I first met Actually, you? Actually, it was. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was like the mid-80s is when I got saved. And, okay. um, 
And shortly after that is when, when I met you. Okay. And, uh, and when you posed that question to me, I thought there was just no way Why? I would do that. Uh, because, you know, coming out of the bar club scene and coming right out of high school into... My education was the road. My experience was the road. I had no musical degree. I have no music degree that qualifies me to do what I'm doing. I have no seminary degree that qualifies me to do what I'm doing. Um, so when you pose that to me, it's like, are you kidding? There's, just, there's nothing that qualifies me for that. See, and here's what's crazy. This guy can hear a song, and he hears every part of the song. He, 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 and he hears it, and he memorizes it. It just sticks in his brain. And I, I've been with him when a song that he hasn't heard for 20 years comes on, and he starts doing each part of the song. It's just, he's got like a, it's the equivalent of a photographic memory for hearing. It's, it, it, you've got an autographic mind or something. It, it, he's a musical genius, and yet because he doesn't have a particular degree, he's not supposed to be leading worship, which is a lie. And, es and, especially at a the right word. and especially at a predominantly white church. Well, can I tell me about that? What, what was because the... that was, well, again, it was one of those things where, you know, I, I really thought there was nothing that I had to offer to a fairly large-sized church that was predominantly white. And, and uh, because, again, my upbringing was in R&B, jazz, funk, uh, th those kind of things that you know, there's nothing that there's nothing that that I would have that would be relevant. Like that. That. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing a Tower of Power shirt. Dude. Yeah. Oh wow! All right, there, well, there you go. Power. Well, there you go. But see, again, in, in, but in my viewpoint, that's. But there, there was also, wasn't there? A, like, a, you had been burned by white folks oh. quite a bit in your life. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a little fear there. <laughs> I, well, you know, it's true. Yes, I, yes. I know a little of your history. And, yes. and so there's some fear involved in that. Many times. Okay, so what changed? What, 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 what did a reframe that finally well, empowered you to say yes? What was, when we were talking and dialoguing through, you know, the, the whole idea of... Uh, I didn't take no for an answer, he by did. the way. <laughs> he actually had me come up to Bethel when he was still teaching there. He sat me in the classroom, stuck in this, uh, this video of Ron Canoli and said, I want you to picture yourself doing this. Take yourself, take him out of that, and place yourself in there. Ron Canoli is a, a black worship leader. Yeah. And so I, I you know, started watching this. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah, that's cool. You know, the musicianship, okay. Yeah, this, that would be kind of cool. Mm -hmm. um, and, then, and then as we continued to dialogue, the question that I will never, ever forget as long as I live, he, you, you, per, you point blank looked at me and said, it, do you believe in God? said, well, yeah. Well, how much do you trust and believe in this God? If you do, then you need to take a step of faith. I'm a preacher. <laughs> yeah. Which was... Sinner friend today. Yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Which was the, the challenge that sent me off on this, uh -huh. uh, this introspective journey of how much do I really trust God? Okay. And after much prayer and trepidation and talking it over with Di, I decided, yes, I need to take this step of faith. Because if nothing else, it'll prove that, Lord, you are my God. And so mm -hmm. I took that step Amen. and started at Woodland Hills. And, uh, yeah, it's Praise been God. an incredible journey. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Fantastic. Yeah. Amen. And you guys, the, the thing that, that, that I've learned greatly from this whole journey is, is the fact that 
when I started this, my, I, I was so scared. I was scared out of my wits because, you know, though I've done this kind of stuff in bands before, the thing that was frightening to me was that, and, and I posed this to the Lord. I said, Lord, where are the musicians going to come from? Where are the singers going to come from? You want this multicultural kind of expression of worship. How is this going to happen? I, I can't do this. And he said, follow me. Trust me. I will bring the singers. I will bring the musicians. I will bring everything you will need to do what it is I called you to do. And he has not let me down one moment in these 12 years. Amen. He has been faithful beyond imagination. That's the reason I stand up here each week and I shout and I scream. I exhort you guys to praise him because the journey I've had with God has been one that has been so faithful it's the reason, it's the reason I encourage you guys so much to praise, praise him because it's real and it's true Amen. for me. Amen. Praise God. Appreciate this, brother. Love you, man. There was a, a time when we were talking and I was praying for Norm one time, I got a picture of a bird in a cage. And uh, some birds are supposed to be in cages, but in this picture, this bird was not. This bird was supposed to be flying out there free. And I knew it applied to Norm. And uh, what's happened is the bird has gotten out of the cage. A cage, the social conditioning. He was doing machinery jobs and working in restaurants, which is good and noble if that's what you're supposed to be doing, but it's not what he was supposed to be doing. Not over the long haul. He was born to lead worship. And the bird needed to get out of the cage, the cage of the I can'ts. I'm not supposed to. I'm just a, I'm just a. And, but it took him revolting against that and trusting God, trusting the word of God, the identity, that destiny, that passion, that passion he has for music had never left him. See, each one of us is like that, folks. There is a bird in a cage, and that bird wants to go free. That bird is about your true identity in Christ. The bird is about the unique diamond that you are. That, that bird is about the unique ministry and the gifting and the passion that you have within you. But, but we've all, to some degree, received bars, a cage-filled bar that, that, that conditions us to stay in, in a mediocre zone and not shine the way that God creates us to shine. It conceals the, the inner greatness that God made when he made you in his image and, and, and equipped you for a particular way of radiating his beauty. It conceals that and suppresses that we end up living in a mediocre zone. It may be that some here have been, just been conditioned to believe that you're nothing special. You just got nothing to bring to the table. You're just an ordinary person, nothing special. And you need to hear the word of God say to you, revolt against that lie. You are a one-of-a-kind diamond. I didn't make you out of a pre-existing mold. You are one-of-a-kind. And no one can shine quite the way you can shine. No one can put me on display the way you can put me on display. Find that inner passion, find that calling, find that ministry, and put it on display. There may be some women here who bought into the cultural conditioning that it's a man's world, and so as a woman, you, just, you might have something to contribute, but it won't be as much as a man. And you need to hear God say to you, revolt against that sexist, stupid lie. Any passion I put on your heart is the one you're supposed to move into. And you embrace your femininity as part of the God-given beauty he wants you to put on display. It might be that there are some here who like Norm. We're socially conditioned to, to, to believe this is a white man's world or at least a white man's country. And if you're a person of color, well, you just can't make the contribution that a white person can make. And you need to hear the word of God say, revolt against that stupid racist lie. And you own your ethnicity as part of the God-given beauty I want you to put on display. 
and live out the passion of your heart. Get out of that cage. There, there may be some here who have got disabilities, and, and, and you were culturally conditioned to believe that this is an able-bodied world, and, and, and uh, so, so you with your disability are just are not going to have much to contribute. But see, you've got to hear the Word of God say to you this. I can use every aspect of your beating, being to manifest my beauty. And I'm smart enough to find a way, even when, when you are by the world's standards weak, then I can be strong. And you can make a contribution to the revolution that an able body never could make. Live out that passion. Walk in your destiny as you are. Whatever limitations there are there, whatever oughts and shoulds and can'ts, our job is to revolt against them. One of the problems we face is that we tend to compare ourselves with other people. I can't sing like Norm. I can't do that. I can't do this other thing. And so by world standards, I'm just a normal, normal, ordinary person, or maybe not even up to that bar. But look it. I'm talking about your uniqueness, and your uniqueness, by definition, can't be compared to anything. See, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you have compared to what other people have, giftings or backgrounds or anything. What matters is what you do with what you have. That's the only thing that counts. I learned this lesson from a little kid, a disabled little kid. That's why I know that God can use disabled folks in unique and beautiful ways. His name was Bobby. Back in the late 80s, I was running a lot of races. I was a running maniac. And so I was at this race uh, that was actually raised uh, money for people with disabilities and uh, so uh, they had a lot of people in wheelchairs doing these races. There was two races, actually, a three-mile and a six-mile. And I was such a nut about running, I would do both. And so uh, I do the, the three-mile kind of as a warm-up, and then I do the six-mile. So I, I, I run out a mile, mile, mile and a half uh, in this first race, turn around and come back, just kind of warming up, getting loosened up. And on the way back to the starting line, I see right close to the starting line a woman walking backwards, which I thought was profoundly odd walking backwards. But when I got up to her, I realized that uh, there's a little kid in front of her in a wheelchair. And this was Bobby. And Bobby was her son. And Bobby was the most disfigured uh, child I've ever seen in my life. Uh, his eyes were, were not symmetrical. They were on different sides of his face. He didn't have a nose. His mouth was off to one side. His head was way oversized for his body. Uh, for legs, he had just like two little pieces of flesh sticking out. Uh, and for, he didn't have one arm, and for his other arm, it looked like a reconstructed stub. It didn't look like a normal arm. And at the end of that stub, he had two other smaller stubs that were his fingers. And little Bobby would lean over and grab the wheel of the wheelchair with his two fingers and give it two pushes like this. And then he'd lean over and grab the other wheel and give it two pushes. And he just kept on going back and forth like this. And every time he pushed it, it went maybe an inch or two. They're going profoundly slow. I'd run out a mile, mile and a half, and then run back. And they were still maybe 200, 300 yards from the, from the starting line. But I looked with amazement at this kid. And this kid had a face that was, that, it glowed. He was so proud that he was doing this. And there was such a look of determination. When he would grab that wheelchair, he just pushed it. And he, he was like, I'm going to do a three-mile race. And I was just amazed with this kid. I was you know, kind of cheering him on and encouraging him and encouraging his mother. And as I was doing that, the winner of the 5K race came running by us. They're 300 yards into the race. This guy's already finishing it. He runs by us. And I, I thought to myself, 
who's the real champion here? Really? Now, he's going to get the trophy. This winner's going to get the trophy, but they ought to have a special trophy for this kid because this kid is a champion. What he's doing is heroic. Now, I went on and did the six-mile race and afterwards was just hanging out with some folks, you know, replenishing your fluids and talking and talk. This is maybe three, probably four hours after I had seen Bobby. And I was telling everyone about Bobby that I saw. And all of a sudden, I hear a person on a podium, on this podium, say, I can see Bobby. And he's got these binoculars, and he's spotting Bobby. He was part of a support crew that was there for Bobby. And you look down the road, and sure enough, if rounding the corner, coming down the final four or 500 yards, then that mother isn't still walking backwards. And here's little Bobby. So we, I and about 10 other people ran out there to cheer this champion on for the last 400 yards. It still took about another 40 minutes to get there, but we, we ran out there. And now Bobby's fingers were very blistered, so they'd wrap bandages around him. And you could see he grimaced with pain whenever he would grab the wheelchair. But there was still that look of, that, that proud look in his face and that look of determination was, was more than ever. And he would just grab it and push it inch by inch. And so we were there to cheer him on, cheer this hero, this winner, this champion down the final stretch. At one point, his mom, I think, you know, feeling kind of awkward that it's taken so long, she would try to cheat and kind of push him a little along from the, the back when he would lead over to grab the other ch chair. One time, Bobby caught her. He noticed it. And he got so mad. He turned and looked at her, and he held up his two fingers, and he says, Mom, I told you I can do it myself. And she apologized. But it was like he was saying, why else do you think God gave me these good, two good fingers? To show that I can do a five-kilometer race with them. You see, it doesn't matter what you have. What matters is what you do with them. Right there, God was using this little child with his two stubby fingers to teach me a profound lesson. And now I'm using it to teach you a profound lesson. He shines with the glory of God in a way that, that, that only he can do. It's not about what you have. It's about what you do with what you have. And when you take what you have and commit it to God and live it with passion, God finds a way to display himself in you that no one else can, 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 can do. You become the one-of-a-kind diamond that God calls you to be. Take whatever you have and invest it with passion. Get out of the secure wine press. Take a risk. Say yes to God. Revolt against the social conditioning and live with passion what God calls you to live with passion. When I was a kid, I was passionate about these things here. This is my new drum set. I uh, finally talked myself into buying it for my, my, my 50th birthday. Aren't they nice? Yes. Okay, now here's the story. Uh, for 25 years, I played on junk, and I owed it to myself to finally get a good set. Um, so here's, here's the thing. When I was a kid, it's hard to believe, but I was hyperactive. <laughs> I, I, I was hyperactive. And especially as a young kid in Catholic school, the nuns didn't appreciate that hyperactivity. As I've said several times, they didn't have a category for ADHD back in those days. Pre-Vatican, oh, it was... Uh, they, they just referred to you as a demon-possessed boy. So... <laughs> I got in a lot of trouble for being hyperactive. I was always in trouble, and I usually didn't know why. Um, the thing was this. The, I found about the age of nine, right about the time Norm was learning that he could sing, I, I discovered drums. And uh, uh, this was the one place in my life where I could be hyperactive, and it was appropriate. 
I could just go crazy on these things. And, you know, my parents had to limit how much time I was on them because uh, I was driving everyone crazy. But drums became really my, my, my best friend. I, I could be myself on drums. And uh, I thought for a while that's what I was born to do. Um, God had different ideas. And around the age of 20, after a concert at Northrop Auditorium with the U of M Jazz Ensemble, the Lord brought conviction into me, and I had to hand in my drumsticks. He says, that's not what you're, what, what you're supposed to do. Uh, that's not what you're born to do. But it's still part of what I do. Um, I, I enjoy going downstairs once a month or however long, and um, uh, however often, and playing these things. And I'm not very good anymore. Uh, I'm old and rusty, and, you know, but it's not about how good you are. It's about how much passion you have in it. So what I lack in talent, I try to make up for in passion. All right? <laughs> And so I, I, I want to do what I want to do. It gets hot up here. This is really just a rhythmic, a, a rhythmic poem. It's meant to be a symbolic expression of passion, the passion that God calls us to live in. You got two arms, use them with passion. You got two legs, use them with passion. And, uh, and glorify God. Because what I know, learned is this. Nuns may not like hyperactivity very much, but God does. All right. All right, here we go. Here we go. Let me get on the seat right. All right. I want to entitle this uh, A Tribute to Bobby's Two Fingers.
Thanks to me. Praise God. Praise God for energy. Praise God for passion. Praise God for Bobby's fingers. Praise God for what you got. It doesn't matter what you've got. It really doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter how good you are at it. It doesn't matter what you've got or how good you are at it. What matters is you do it with passion and get out of the wine press and buck against the system and revolt against the lies and take captive every thought for Jesus Christ and let the bird out of the cage and shine like the diamond you were created to shine. Because only you can shine that way. And the kingdom revolution needs you to be all you can be and all God knows you can be to put on display the full orb beauty of our majestic king. Revolt against the lies. Be the diamond you were created to be. Close your eyes for a moment. I want to give the Holy Spirit a chance to seal this message in our hearts. Holy Spirit, reveal to us truth right here and right now, in this moment, in this place. What lies hold you back? What are your Gideon excuses? Holy Spirit, reveal to us, what are the I can'ts that hold you back? What is the I'm just a that holds you back? Doesn't matter who told you that lie. Doesn't matter how often that lie has been told you. You need to hear God now tell you it's not true. Mighty warrior, you are strong in what I've called you to do. And now ask God to show you what he's called you to do. And you don't have to know the full plan. We never do. But what's the next step towards that? Revolt against the lies to put God's beauty on display. What are you going to passionately invest in? What is your calling? What is your ministry? What's your role in the revolution? Your particular role. We're all called to manifest the character of Jesus at all times and all places. But you've got a particular way of doing that. What is it? And what holds you back? Holy Spirit, reveal to us what we need to know. Give us the wisdom we need to have. And then empower us to be fully invested. To take this one chance that we've got in life. We've only got one shot. And to infuse it with everything that is within us. Even if it's only two fingers, that's more than enough for the Almighty God. Seal your word in our heart. In Jesus' name. Gideon's army said, Amen. Praise God. God is so good. Amen. If you would like to receive prayer for any matter whatsoever, I encourage you to come forward right now. And the folks up here will have a prayer team. Come forward, prayer team. And they'd love to spend some time praying with you. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, come forward right now. And these folks would love to explain to you uh, what it is to surrender your life to Jesus. Love you guys.